and to chapter 4 in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I want to read uh, from verse 9. Uh, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the theme which we're going to look at uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes this evening is the theme of loneliness. It seems an appropriate theme uh, in any situation, any time really, but particularly at this time in our society when we're practicing social distancing and not able to spend time even with uh, close relatives who don't live in the same home as we do. Uh, when, as we go out for a walk and we pass strangers, they, they and we keep our distance from each other. Uh, when we've been told to stay at home and uh, not to go out unless it's absolutely essential. And uh, so for many people, it has been a, a lonely time. But loneliness is a characteristic of, of life generally. And I want us to look at what uh, the teacher here, Solomon, has to say about loneliness. Ecclesiastes is an unusual but very interesting book. Uh, it's one which looks at life, and the phrase that he uses again and again is under the sun. That is, life in this world, uh, when people live as if there is no God. And we're living in that kind of age today, in Britain, uh, once the gospel had a, a great effect upon Britain. Um, but today, uh, God is hardly ever mentioned. Prayer is hardly ever mentioned. And people are going on with their lives and uh, seeking happiness if they can find it. But the teacher seriously examines a life lived without God. And he, he has a depth of insight. It's a, a very relevant book uh, to our day. And he speaks with complete frankness. Uh, there are times when he says that uh, life without God is meaningless. It's just a chasing after the wind. You can't chase the wind. You can't catch it. And there is something in modern life, isn't there, where we have so much and it's somehow happiness eludes us. Real contentment eludes us. Uh, in chapter 3, he talks about injustices and the harshness of life. And he does in the opening verses of this fourth chapter as well. And then he looks at the pursuit of fame and fortune and those who want to find uh, happiness in material things and in money. Uh, sometimes people talk about the rat race, running after things, determined if we can to, to get everything we can for us and our families, hoping that that will mean we'll find fulfillment in our lives. Uh, and there can be a great deal of envy and rivalry. And sometimes people talk about friendly rivalry. Uh, but most rivalry is not friendly. Uh, we want to win. There's that competitive spirit going one better than others, a one-upmanship, success at all costs. And it's good to ask ourselves, what motivates us uh, as we live our life under the sun? And uh, what uh, the teacher here in this book has to say uh, is very helpful to us as we think particularly of the theme of loneliness. It's a very common experience. 
when we're lonely, we're sad because we have no friends. We have no companions. In 1966, um, the Beatles uh, sang a song about a lady called Eleanor Rigby. And uh, this is what the words say of that song. Ah, look at all the lonely people. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been, lives in a dream, waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? Father Mackenzie, writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near. Look at him working, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father Mackenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? Here's this lady. Uh, she was lonely. Uh, when she died, no one noticed. Um, the priest took the service, but nobody came. And uh, there are lots of people in our world who are lonely. You can be lonely in a crowd. You can be lonely on a tube train when there are lots of people there, but they're all reading their book or staring forward without looking, not talking. Big cities can be lonely places. Cardiff can be a lonely place. And so these lonely people, they're all around us. Perhaps you are one of them. And uh, in chapter four of Ecclesiastes, now the teacher highlights some examples of loneliness. In the opening verses, he talks about the loneliness of people who are oppressed and powerless. He says, again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. Uh, there are many people in the world today who live in places of oppression, where there are authoritarian governments, who at times just decide to take people out. They snatch them off the street, they go and arrest them in their homes, and they take them away. Their families don't know where they are, and they're locked up and in prison, um, and they're degraded, sometimes tortured, and uh, sometimes they're put to death, and, and the family don't know what's happened to them. There's no justice. There are no visitors. Uh, as the teacher says, there's no comforter. And many Christians experience that in the world today. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are in lonely cells, and they're there just simply because they are Christians. And uh, the teacher looks at the world of his time, and he thinks about power and oppression and people having no rights. Uh, and he goes on to say in verse 2, and I declare that the dead who are already dead are happier than the living 
who are still alive. At least the dead don't see it anymore. Uh, but he says, but better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. It's a grievous thing, he says, to see the loneliness of those who are oppressed and uh, who are powerless and lonely. They have no one to comfort them. And then later in verse uh, 7, he talks about the, the loneliness of materialism, uh, of those who may be rich and successful. He says in verse 7, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. And yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? He, toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. So here's this man, he hasn't got a son, he hasn't got a brother, but he's working every hour that has been made, and he's successful, and he's making money. And the teacher says, so why? Why are you doing it? Why are you spending your life making more and more money and having more and more success? if you've nobody to share it with, nobody to give it to. And, and sometimes people can pursue possessions to the almost total neglect of people. And uh, as we gain more wealth, we want more. Uh, there are people who are billionaires. We hear about the richest people in the world. And they've got more money than they could possibly spend, but they keep on working. They keep on amassing more and more money. And often they're lonely. They live in big houses with massive security systems. They may have guards around them. And uh, yet they keep on working and amassing money. There's something compulsive about making money. And uh, the man in this passage surrenders to this craving, an endless process of feeding it. But he's got no friends, he's got no family. So why? Why is he doing it? Derek Kidner, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, says such a man, even with a wife and children, will have little time for them, convinced that he is toiling for their benefit, although his heart is elsewhere, devoted and wedded to his projects. And uh, our materialistic world is a, a lonely world. The more we have, very often the more isolated we become. We live, people who are rich live in gated communities to keep people out. And they're there. And uh, sometimes the richest of all people have more or less been recluses, lonely people with all that money. And uh, they don't have anyone to, to help them. In verse 9, he goes on, he says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. When you're working with somebody else, you don't get all the return, but you can have a good return because you're working with each other. And also if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Lonely people have no one to help them, no one to share with. But uh, the teacher says it's, it's really important to have someone alongside us, not to want everything for ourselves, but to be ready to share. And then when we're in need, to know that there's someone to whom we can turn, someone who knows us, who cares for us, who loves us. But as he looks at the world, he says, many people are not in that situation. They are lonely. And because they're lonely, they don't know human companionship 
and warmth. Uh, he says uh, in verse 11, also if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Perhaps he's thinking of those who are living in houses without central heating many years ago, and cold nights came, and if you shared your home with someone else, well, you could keep each other warm. Perhaps he's thinking of travellers who may sleep uh, under the, the stars, and again, they can keep each other warm. But you can't keep warm alone. And he's speaking about the, the warmth of, of human companionship and just uh, being together. And also, the lonely are vulnerable to attack, he says in verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The lonely person is liable to attack, you see, sometimes, don't you? People attacked on the streets of our cities. And, and often it's because they were on their own. Uh, it could be a man, it could be a woman, it could be in a lonely place late at night. And uh, they're attacked and there's no one to help them, to defend them. And he says two can defend themselves and help each other. And uh, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. More than two uh, are even more secure. The world can be a hostile place. And he says we, we need help in defending ourselves. And again, the lonely cannot do that. They're on their own. King David, uh, Solomon's father, uh, had a very close friend, Jonathan, who, and that friendship meant so much uh, to David and to Jonathan. They were one in spirit, and they encouraged each other, often in difficult times. And it's a wonderful thing to have a close friend. David also had three mighty men who always stood by him. They were close guards. They were those who were with him in the heat of the battle, and uh, they stood by his side. And in life, we too need those who will be with us, alongside us. And so the, the teacher highlights some examples of loneliness. There are many more examples. And loneliness is a, a character of our Western society. The developed world is a a lonely place. The developing world sometimes has much greater emphasis upon community and especially upon family. But our Western pattern of life has increased loneliness. Often people don't know their neighbours. Uh, perhaps people are meeting their neighbours now because they're not going out in their cars so much as we walk. As we do exercise, as we walk our dog, we, we meet people we might not have met before. People meet, live in large houses and uh, detached houses, very different from the smaller uh, terraced houses of a former generation. And uh, we engage in individualistic activities. We go to the gym or we go running. Or we may play individual sports. And uh, that's the sort of world in which we live. Now, there are more than 9 million people, a recent survey said, in the United Kingdom who say that they are always or often lonely. They feel alone. All those people feel alone. Uh, there are 200,000 older people who have not, and this is before the lockdown, this is just life generally, 
200,000 older people who haven't spoken with a relative or friend for more than a month. Uh, disabled adults, 85% of those aged 18 to 34 say they, they are often lonely. Young people get lonely. Despite social media and friends and so on, it's, it's actually a lonely life for many young people. 40% of those between the ages of 16 and 24, so that they often, or very often, feel lonely. There are many people who've experienced the sadness of divorce, and more than 100,000 people get divorced in England and Wales, and uh, women between the age of 40 and 44, and, and men a little bit older, uh, are on their own often, and uh, they feel the loss of, of companionship. And then there are those who are unmarried. It may be a temporary feature of our life, it may be a permanent feature of our life. There are many Christians who wish to marry, but have no opportunity. It's not an easy thing for a, a young Christian woman or an older Christian woman who wants to be married to find a Christian husband. And so they live in singleness, not something that they've chosen but they have to accept. Sometimes people choose sing singleness in order to serve God. Uh, and they perhaps engage in some ministry or they go to another country to serve the Lord, knowing that when they go to that country, they probably won't meet another Christian whom they can marry. And uh, they spend their life in singleness, in ministry. And then as they retire, uh, they're on their own and they may feel lonely. And then there's bereavement, the death of a, of a marriage partner, a, a husband or a wife. And after they have died, it's a question of living alone, eating alone, traveling alone, uh, going to places where there are lots of couples uh, and you feel the fact that you're on your own. You didn't used to be like that, but now that you've lost your husband or your wife, you are alone and you go back to an empty house. I used to give a man, a Christian man, a, a lift to a meeting in church. And it was an evening meeting, and I'd drop him off at about half past nine. Uh, sometimes it would be dark when I dropped him off, and, and he often used to say, this is the bit I don't like, going into the house, and there's no one there. Some years before, his wife had died, and uh, he felt the loneliness of it. And then sometimes people have no friends, no close friends. In fact, close and committed friendships are, are not as common, perhaps, as they used to be. And sometimes it might be a surprise to us that there are people who, who don't have close friends, perhaps people in church whom we see, we see them every week, and yet they don't have close friends. Perhaps even when they're in church, they feel a little bit alone. Then there are people who come to this country from other countries, they're immigrants, and they don't have any close family here, they don't have the support of close family. Uh, sometimes they've come to find a place of safety, um, but they've left their families behind, and it's a different culture, and it's a different language, and they're outsiders, and uh, perhaps they've come from places where family is, is very important, um, but here they don't have a family and, and the family can't come to be with them. And those who have come to the country may be very 
lonely. People who are converted from a, a Muslim background will often be lonely. We pray for people to be converted, and it's a wonderful thing when they are. And they come to realize that Jesus is the Son of God, and he is the Savior whom they need. And perhaps then we tend to assume, well, everything's okay now. But often it means that they're cut off by their family, and they're, they're cut off by their community. And uh, in the church today, perhaps they don't find that friendship, that companionship that they knew before when they were Muslims. They had more support and care from the community and from family before they came to know the Lord. And becoming a Christian has meant becoming more lonely than they were before. And that loneliness can be acute. And Christians experience loneliness uh, for some of the reasons I've already mentioned, but sometimes for other reasons too. Uh, sometimes a Christian may, in their latter years, become a carer. And perhaps they're caring for someone with dementia, a husband or a wife. And it means long hours uh, at home and a few visitors. I remember reading a book uh, about how Christians should respond to dementia. It was written in the States. Uh, and they gave an example of a lady uh, who had been the person who arranged pastoral care in her church. Uh, and uh, she made sure that everyone got a visit when they needed it. And uh, then her husband developed dementia, and uh, she could no longer carry on with that ministry. And she said, people didn't come and visit us. We felt very alone. And when I asked them why, they said, well, you know, I don't know what to say to your husband. Or when I come, he, he says the same things all the time. And I find it difficult, so I don't come. And so this lady who had experienced, who had organized care for others, suddenly found herself lonely because people weren't ready uh, to come alongside her and to encourage her. And carers can often be very alone and under great pressure. And so loneliness comes in, in all sorts of forms. Um, there can be people in care homes and, and they're lonely and they don't get many visitors. I remember talking to a lady, a Christian lady from Africa, and I was asking her what differences did she find uh, with life in this country compared to her own country. And she said, well, one of the things I, I found difficult was that you, you put your parents into orphanages. Uh, in Africa, we, we care for them. The extended family cares for them. Now, that's not always possible to do. Um, but again, there's that loneliness, out of sight and out of mind. They don't come to church anymore. We don't see them. And if we're not careful, we forget them. And so loneliness, it's, it's got a different form for us than perhaps it had for the teacher in Ecclesiastes. But it's something very real. Isn't it wonderful in the light of that to realize that our God uh, is a God who knows relationship and companionship. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And those familiar terms are used of the relationship in the Godhead. He's one God, but there are three persons, as we call them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He understands relationships. He's not the unmoved mover. He's not the fatalistic God who doesn't care. 
but he's a God who cares and uh, who knows what it is to relate within the Godhead to one another, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it's no surprise that, that when he first created man and saw Adam in the garden, uh, he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This man that I've created needs someone to be a companion for him. And so the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Here is one created by God who is every way is, is equal to the man, created out of his own body, both bearing the divine image together, showing the fullness of that image, and God providing for man, for Adam's loneliness, and, and down through the years that that marriage relationship has provided uh, for generation after generation. Not all have the privilege of being married and in a family in that sense. <coughs> so we might ask, well, what provision does God make for lonely people? Well, first, he, the family is the basic place of care for us all. Psalm 68 says that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. It's so important that when somebody is alone, that they can relate to a family, a family in the church that they become part of and where they become cared for. There's a great danger that our family life becomes introverted, what we call the nuclear family. And we care for each other uh, deeply within the, the family. Um, but Christian families should be extended families where the lonely and the stranger and the widows and the orphans and the vulnerable can be cared for, can belong uh, and know that uh, and no longer be lonely. The Lord Jesus Christ never married. He, he never had children. But he loved other people's children and uh, received them gladly and blessed them. Uh, and sometimes it's important as families to look around and say, is there someone? Uh, are there a number of people who we could include in our family? Every time we do something, we can keep them in mind uh, that the Lord might set them in our family and uh, that we might care for them and look out for them. And it will be mutual. Uh, our children had many aunties uh, who were not really aunties, but they were adopted as aunties. And they've been a wonderful blessing to our children, often single ladies. And uh, they always remember their birthdays. They, they choose lovely presents. They pray for them. And it, it's been a wonderful blessing to have that extended family. Of course, then there's the church. That's another way in which God provides for us in our loneliness. The church is God's new humanity, an attractive contrast to the unbelieving world around us. And yet many churches can be lonely places. Sometimes you hear people saying that they, they went to a church to worship and 
no one spoke to them except the people who welcomed them on the way in and the person who shook their hands on the way out. It's easy, isn't it, after service to turn around and, and to talk to our friends, those we want to talk to, and not to welcome those who are strangers and uh, to spend time with them and to take an interest in them. Uh, sometimes when a, a visiting preacher goes to a church, they may have little meaningful interaction with the congregation. We have some interesting subcultures in church. Uh, sometimes when I stand at the door in a church and somebody comes nearby, I extend my hand, and uh, they say, uh, oh, I'm not, I'm not going yet, as if I can't shake their hand until they're going. Uh, then on other occasions, they're leaving the door and, and they shake hands, but they say, but I'm coming back. And it's this strange sort of culture we have, and, and, and there, there needs to be a warmth and a, a relationship. Uh, and even a visiting preacher may find that after he's finished preaching, that it's a lonely experience that he has. Margaret and I went to Italy a few years ago uh, to see something of the work of one of our missionaries. And uh, we went to a, a small church in Italy one Sunday morning, met in just a very simple building, like a shop. And uh, it's the only church I've been to where before the church began, I'd been kissed on both cheeks by every member of the congregation, male and female, because they welcomed us and they greeted us. And there was that sense uh, of being glad to see us. And it was a lovely experience, even if some of the men hadn't shaved. <laughs> but it was, it was good to be welcomed in that way. Sometimes church members have few friends. And uh, I remember a lady in one of the congregations I ministered to saying that uh, as she sat in the congregation, she, she waited for people to talk to her and, and people didn't. Now, of course, you can say, well, she should have gone to talk to them, and that's correct. But she said, I often sat there waiting and, and everybody talked to other people. And she was a, a well-established member of the church and very active in ministry, but she still found herself feeling lonely. It's one of the reasons why hospitality is so important and genuine friendship within the church. Uh, I remember a lady when I was in Marbus Road, a Christian lady, lovely lady, uh, dying of cancer. And uh, I had many opportunities while she was ill and then after she died to talk to her husband. And uh, he wasn't a Christian. Uh, he came to church sometimes on a Sunday evening, um, but uh, he knew that he didn't know the Lord. And he knew that his wife did and was now with the Lord. And one day I was talking to him and he, he said, you know, if I became a Christian, would I have any friends in the church? He was a working man. He was a, a lorry driver. And uh, he would come home at the end of a day and he would have his evening meal. And then he'd go down to the local working men's club. And uh, he would play games there and chat to his, his mates. And he said, you know, if I became a Christian, I, I don't think I'd be going to the club anymore. But would I have any friends? And you know, it was a difficult question because I couldn't say to him absolutely, oh, you'll definitely have lots of friends because the nature of the community that he related to was different from how churches sometimes function. And again, it's as I said with Muslims, it's a question of saying when somebody becomes a Christian, are they warmly received into fellowship and become part of, of the church in some way uh, so that they're not alone? Now, of course, loneliness can be a blessing. 
Jesus encourages us to spend time with God, he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There are times when we want to be alone with God. It's good to rest from the busyness of everyday life and to be in his presence. When Jesus and the disciples were having a particularly busy time of ministry, uh, so they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But actually the people followed them and they didn't find the rest they were seeking then. But loneliness can be a blessing. There are times to be alone, alone with God. Times just to have peace and quiet. And, and perhaps your life is so busy. That you, as you've been thinking about this theme, you've been thinking, yes, I could do with times like that. We all need those sort of times. And then Jesus also experienced a profound loneliness. It's one of the great encouragements for us when we feel alone. And when we pray about it to know that the Lord understands. In the upper room, when he was with his disciples in John 16 and verse 32, he said to them, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. My closest companions will leave me, but even then the Father will be with me. But there came that time, didn't there, on the cross. At midday, when there was darkness for three hours, and uh, out of that darkness there came this cry, this loud cry, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our Saviour was made sin for us. The Father turned his face away. And Jesus knew a profound loneliness, a depth of loneliness that we shall never know because he experienced that for us. One of our hymns says, He took my sins and my sorrows, he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvellous, how wonderful. And before he died, uh, the light of the Father's face, the light of his presence had returned. He was able to declare, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But it's wonderful, isn't it, when we experience loneliness, to be able to come to a saviour who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities and is able to give us grace to help in our time of need. And he's also promised, and this is the last point I want to make really, that he's promised to be with us always. The promise of the presence of our Saviour by his Spirit at all times, as he sent his disciples into a hostile world to proclaim the gospel, he said to them, surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. What a wonderful thing it is to know that the Lord will never forsake us. He is always with us. 
perhaps you know the story of John G. Payton, a man who went to be a missionary in 1858, the time of the revival in Wales, 1858-59. But uh, he and his young wife were setting sail from Scotland to the New Hebrides in the South Seas. They were going to a, a little island called Tarn. It was a long journey. And uh, the people were fierce cannibals and, and had all kinds of ungodly practices. And uh, less than a year after leaving Britain, his wife and their young son, who was just five weeks old, died of fever. And uh, Peyton himself had the same fever. And so here he was in a lonely place, far, far from home, far from family, far from friends, and uh, sad in the tragic loss of his young wife and his, his little boy. And uh, he writes about it as he, as he buried them, as he prepared a place to bury his loved ones. And he said this, I built the grave round and round with coral blocks and covered the top with beautiful white coral, broken small as gravel. And that spot became my sacred and much frequented shrine during all the following months and years when I laboured on to the salvation of those savage islanders amidst difficulties, dangers and deaths. There were times when he had to hide in the trees at night to be safe from the potential attacks against him. But he continued, whenever Tana turns to the Lord and is one for Christ, men in after days will find the memory of that spot still green, where with ceaseless prayers and tears I claimed that land for God in which I had buried my dead with faith and hope. And then he added this, but for Jesus and the fellowship he gave me there, I must have gone mad and died beside that lonely grave. When his wife and little boy died, there were no Christians in town. Indeed, his ministry there was difficult and, and people didn't believe in the Saviour. But the Lord was there. Jesus was there. He was not alone. And uh, Peyton says that he experienced the fellowship of the Lord as he stood by that little grave and prayed that God would give him souls. And we too, perhaps if we experience loneliness often or sometimes, have that wonderful promise. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for those things we've been able to consider together this evening. Uh, and we bless you that you are Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We thank you to have created us uh, to know you and to love you. And you created us to know fellowship and companionship in this world. And Lord, we pray therefore that we might know you more and more and that you will give us those who will share life with us, uh, those who will share material, physical things, spiritual things, uh, and that you will be with us particularly at times when we feel alone. And we might know that our Lord has promised that he will always be with us and that nothing in all creation can separate us from his love. 
for we ask these things in his name. Amen.